What's up, fam? I'm Jazz, and this is Black Executive, a networking podcast for Black Creative Pros by Black Creative Pros, sharing inspirational stories, actionable advice, and giving away the game to succeed in your business and your career. Join the network where dreamers become doers and the aspiring become inspired. Listen and watch on BlackExecutive.com. Let's get to it. And welcome to another episode of season two of Black Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Jazz. And today we're talking to Dominica T. Washington, founder and executive director of the nonprofit She Chicago, which stands for Strong, Humbled, Empowered. Welcome to the show, Dominica. Hey, how you doing? I'm so glad that you're here with us and like you took some time. I know you have to be super busy. Um, <laughs> at the time of this recording, we're just coming back from holiday break. So you have a lot of stuff, I'm sure, on your plate to catch up on. And you took some time to talk to me today. So I really appreciate that. Never a problem. It's all good. All for the love. Of course, of course. So, uh, but I saw you on Clubhouse and I saw um, everything about your nonprofit. And I thought the, the mission was really interesting. And what really stood out to me as a Black female writer in a tech space is that mm-hmm. you help young writers get published. So can you talk yes. a little bit about what She Chicago is, why you started it, and the mission? Like, what are y'all doing? Yes, yes, yes. So um, I can get a little long-winded about she. So if it's ever a point where it's like, okay, we get it, you know, just let me know. (laughs) So uh, She Chicago, we're a young women's empowerment nonprofit. Uh, We provide character education, community service opportunities, and college and career planning support to teen girls. Our mission is to use those three avenues to cultivate powerful community leaders of tomorrow. Uh, We want, you know, community leaders who run our country with some integrity, um, Mm -hmm. which is why we focus on character education um, with compassion, again, with the character education. But we also want to hone in on those essential life skills uh, Mm -hmm. that are required to get to those leadership roles. Um, She was founded in 2017 in Chicago at Epic Academy. It's a charter school here. Um, I was teaching there at the time and Epic had a young men's club, but they didn't have anything that centralized it's focused on the needs of the female students in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always just kind of naturally been compelled to support uh, young women. However, the deficit that I saw at Epic was the one that made me think about something more intentional um, and making sure that there was more intentionality in my approach to mentoring and serving young girls. So we started off as an after-school program um, that was social emotional learning based. And then we were also, um, support for disciplinary procedures and stuff at the school. We were like, um, we were not the zero tolerance thing, but uh, restorative justice. We were considered a restorative justice program Mm -hmm. at the school as well. Um, And when we looked at everything, I felt like I didn't want us to just be an epic organization or an organization for that school. I felt like we had something that girls citywide and potentially worldwide could um, benefit from. And so that is what made me pull it back to me and (laughs) make it an organization. And so we turned she, it was called she at the school, but we ended up turning it into an actual uh, nonprofit 501c3. So um, yeah, in our second year, we expanded to another high school that was Julian High School, also here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. In our third year, we expanded to North Lawndale College Prep on the west side of Chicago. Um, And this year's year four, 
And uh, we have expanded to the virtual uh, platform, which has been great because it expands our reach. It makes us accessible to girls on that global level that we want at some point. And um, why did I get into nonprofit? You know, I kind of feel like I've always been in nonprofit, just coming Mm. from a teaching background. But Mm. I guess I chose this sector in terms of building a business because, you know, we could have been any kind of business. But the reality of it is, is that, you know, there's no price or protocol for compassion. Mm. And we are everybody on our team is credentialized to profit in any sector that we choose. But the nonprofit sector encourages us to encourages us to like just keep our sights on our girls. Mm -hmm. They are the core of our program. Mm -hmm. It keeps She Sisters at the forefront of our organizational goals and endeavors. But more importantly, you know, prescribing to the nonprofit sector also helps us to retain our authenticity and integrity, which in turn, you know, improves our impact and outcomes. That you're saying like, y'all, I love that. The way you said it was so perfectly worded, like we're all credentialed to profit in other sectors, you know, but we choose to be in the nonprofit sector. And I feel like that's um, such important work that has to be done. And and um, I had a conversation with another guest on the show talking about volunteering for the youth and showing up for the youth in our community and how a lot of times when you see these uh, nonprofit programs and mentorship programs, the mentors don't look like the children. They're not mentors of color. And so then it's like, you know, they need that representation. Representation goes so far, especially when you're working with youth, because until they see you, sometimes they may not know that it's a possibility, you know, because kids don't care what you know until they know that you care. And Mm. it's hard to believe, you know, um, and I hate that it is that way. But considering the climate and history of America, Mm -hmm. it's difficult to believe, you know, that people who don't look like you care about you as much as people who do. Um, And I think that we can coach kids into letting that guard down a little bit and allowing, Mm -hmm. you know, other people to love on them and support them. But um, I think I definitely think that it needs to start with, you know, representation, you know, of who they are first. Absolutely. Absolutely. They need to see themselves um, and definitely see themselves in themselves in position of power and ownership and leadership and, and know that that's a possibility. So, yeah, I'm so they glad need to see themselves changing their world. Yes. You know, yes. because it's different when somebody comes in and saves you. It's different when somebody mm-hmm. comes in and fixes it for you. But they need to see their people fixing their lives, fixing their world, fixing their communities, you know, and, and it mm-hmm. creates that ownership that they need, you know, so that when it's their mm-hmm. turn to lead, when it's their turn to lay their bricks in the foundation, that they come back home, that they come back to their mm-hmm. own and do what they can to support each other. Yes. Now, I already I see you already kind of uh, talked about this as far as like your strategy and and having like a board that pretty much consists mm-hmm. of all black women, just all 100 yeah. um, percent black women on the board. Can you talk more about the impact that that has on your program? Yeah. So, um We were really intentional about having a board that predominantly consists of minority women. We would also like to add some Latina women to our um, board because we do have a healthy number of Latina girls in our organization. Actually, that's one of our pivot points Mm. to uh, make sure that we're meeting the needs of that group of young women. But the reason that we wanted that is because 
we looked at highly successful organizations that were already doing similar work. And we realized that many of their boards are white, which brought Mm -hmm. into question for us, like this notion of capitalizing off of disenfranchised, marginalized groups of people. Right. Um, So despite the amazing work that these orgs, you know, are doing, these board members kind of have to stay behind the scenes you know, because they don't represent the demographics that they serve. And Mm -hmm. so we wanted to ensure that our organization wouldn't possess the same discrepancies, discrepancy while further authenticating our work through that representation. So Mm -hmm. our board members, they're actively engaged with our girls. Um, They come to their events. Uh, Some of our board members actually, you know, do personal mentoring with our girls. Um, Our girls know them by name. Um, that some of them have worked with them, you know, um, through, like I said, personal mentoring, but also, you know, just because they need to network, learning how to network and things like that. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I can say that having this minority board, um, this minority female board does for the organization is create those high level touch points for our girls. And it also, to me, creates a board like none other, like you rarely hear about an organization's actual board members being involved with the demographic that's being served. And Mm -hmm. our board members and our girls literally have like physical, tangible touch points where they're able to engage these women for recommendations or just for conversation or whatever the case may be, you Mm know, um, and altogether back to the representation piece is just imperative that these girls see people in power that reflect their demographic. And so, um, yeah, the representation piece, but it's also that active representation. You know, one of the things that I talk a lot about is I need to do more than see you there. I need you to do more than show me that you're there. I need you to give I need you to give me something, to be honest. I need something to happen where, you know, my engagements, my interactions with you lead to some type of outcome, you know, because seeing Mm -hmm. you can be inspiring, you know, but then having the, the playbook is a whole different story. So Mm. we get that opportunity to represent and still provide the playbook and, you know, just maximize opportunities through our own networks for our girls. Yes, that is, that is phenomenal. Um, Can you talk a little bit, I know I mentioned the publishing and we'll kind of dive into that. Can you talk about some of the other programs and activities that you have for the girls? Like what, what does their curriculum look like? Yeah, so um, girl, you ask for our secret sauce. No. <laughs> um, so our curriculum um, focuses on nine essential character traits um, through three strands um, and three lenses. So our pillars are essentially strength, humility, and empowerment. We look at all three of those through um, nine essential traits, which are integrity, self-control, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, love, joy, and peace. Um And we focus on, again, uh, character education. So we actually teach those traits explicitly. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we provide community service opportunities, which is where um, once a month our girls engage with something outside of us. Uh, So be it a toy giveaway where they're helping distribute toys to children or this past Halloween, they passed out candy to children in disenfranchised communities. Um, we partner with other organizations to, you know, pull off things like the Young Feminist Conference that we have here in Chicago. Um, it's a number of things. It's something different every month. So mm-hmm. they have uh, those character education sessions where we explicitly 
teach those nine character traits. And then each month they have that culminating experience where they get to practice those character traits within the community. And on the college and career end, we provide one-on-one mentoring to our girls to support their dreams and help them to set goals, but then also to give them like explicit life skills. So for example, um, we do sessions on emotional intelligence and how that shows up in school or in the workplace, social intelligence. Uh, We just did a session on entrepreneurship. Um, How do you start a business? What are the foundational things that you need to start a business? We did entrepreneurship. How can, you know, I add my ideas to a business that I already work for and capitalize. So how can I be the person that made the like button on Facebook? Yeah. So that type of thing. So it's a, you know, combination of all of these like kind of essential skills that our girls, we teach them how to spiral them together and execute them in the community. So um, a typical month would be every Thursday, some form of mentoring. So first and third Thursdays, our whole group mentoring. Second and fourth Thursdays, our one-on-one mentoring. And then one Saturday out of the month will be a community service activity. Okay. okay. So they're busy and they're active. Busy, uh, busy. <laughs> which, which we know, what is the... The old school saying the idle mind is the devil's playground, right? So when it comes you know, to, I just thought about that the other day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it comes to the youth, is that's definitely uh-huh. true. Like you, you gotta keep them busy and active. And I'm I'm a firm believer that a lot of these trends that we see in like criminal activity and youth is because they are idle, they're not being challenged in yeah. things to do. Maybe because we're founded by teachers, but we're not afraid of contact with our kids. You mm-hmm. know, we talk, we might have formal meetings once a week. Um, but we're talking almost every day, mm-hmm. you know, through, um, we have, uh, group chats on very social media, various social media platforms. We got our private groups on social media, uh, where girls, no matter what school, they're all a part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, new members of the organization get added. And what it does is really, you know, uh, having these multiple touch points, it really fosters a sense of sisterhood and camaraderie. Um, These are open forums where they can do anything from asking questions about feminine hygiene to, you know, hey, I love y'all. I miss y'all. Happy New Year. You know, and so they talk about any and everything in these group chats. Uh, We have strict rules around the confidentiality uh, Mm -hmm. of our group chats because, you know, denying it denies the sisterhood. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, you know, even when they're not with us they have accountability from their peers. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't count the number of times over the past few years where someone has come into the group chat with like, man, I'm about to snap or, you know, whatever it is that they're going through. And their she sisters are right there like, look, girl, you got to do this. You got to take care of that. You ain't going to be able to come to this. If you do this, your mama going to snap, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so it creates this positive and loving accountability system to have multiple ways of engaging each other, despite, you know, whether or not we're having a formalized meeting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know they need that community. That's so important, um, especially having a community outside of school. Like I know that y'all are in schools, but school, but I'm sure they have peers in the group that they don't necessarily interact with at school, you know, during school time. And it's important to have those additional communities, especially going through your teenage years and all the the mess that can happen. <laughs> Girl. Been there, been there. Re- remember those days. And I know I could have definitely Literally. used a group like that. Yeah. Could have used a group like that to have that, that support system for sure. Yeah. So um, of the activities, the publishing really caught my attention um, okay. because like 
it, I know that you have like a background in English. I have a background in, in technical writing and I work as a writer. Uh, so can you talk about a bit about how that became like a thing and, and what y'all are doing and what that process looks like? Yeah, so um, I do have a background in English. I have an English degree from Clark Atlanta University. Shout out to my HBCU. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been a writer, like uh, since I was little, um, mm-hmm. you know, formally and creatively. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really the idea came about because I wanted to write a children's book. And I reached out to lots of people who gave me some good advice. Um, but what I needed was somebody to tell me just straight up, step step one, do this, step yeah. two, do that, you know? And so um, I did not want to shop my book with publishers um, because I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my shit. Yes. So I did not want to shop my book through publishers. Um, and so I figured, you know, let me learn how to do this self-publishing thing on my own. And, um, it was, a trying journey of figuring it out. And so once I did, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna create a publishing company. And so I came up with She Chicago Publishing, um, because I wanted to create a space where young women, um, and even people who are not participants in the program can get that clear, concise, step-by-step, this is how you get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, any book that we that somebody might choose to publish through She Chicago Publishing, all proceeds would go to that person. Uh, we don't want, you know, any royalties off of your book. The only thing we ask for is that it say She Chicago Publishing on the back. Um, mm-hmm. But we're there with the purpose of helping um, young writers to, you know, any writer, to be honest, but mm-hmm. to help self-publishing writers um, yeah. navigate that journey a little more clearly. Um, and it's advice that you don't have to pay for. Like, that's another thing I got tired of paying for, you know, people asking me to pay for advice on something I can Google. Yeah. When, you know, bro, I'm coming to you because you already did it. So if you can just check, 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 that would be great. Mm-hmm. So um, that's where it came from. Um, and once we got it going and I talked to my girls about it a lot, man, they got so many talents. A lot of them want to write. Mm-hmm. A lot of them do photography. A lot of them, you know, draw and they wanted a space where they like, you know, what well, can we use She Chicago Publishing too, you know, to get our messaging out and to get our word across. Um, and so, I mean, how can I say no? So the first project that they're working on um, is tied to the anti-violence um the anti-violence campaign that we're doing right now, we're calling it Urban Girls Against Violence. You might see it on our pages. Mm -hmm. We have a pink fist up and it is to amplify the voices of teen girls in response to community violence. And one of the goals there is to create a compilation of stories, artwork, poetry from teen girls citywide or, you know, wherever they are, you know, depending on their submissions, we would like to create a compilation of their stories and their expressions in response to the violence that they're experiencing in their communities. Um, Mm -hmm. Our girls would be in charge of the editing of it and they'll publish it through She Chicago Publishing. And that'll be the first um, publication from the girls that you guys will see from She, from the publishing company. So, yeah, that's, Know, the just the long and short of it, I guess. Um, it came from me wanting to be a writer, mm-hmm. and it became an organizational thing because our girls needed um, for for what they're trying to do with Urban Girls Against Violence. 
Yes, that is that is phenomenal. And I'm excited that they have that opportunity. Like, again, just the programs, the things uh, that you need. I, I think of that phrase, be who you needed when you were a kid. Yeah. And it's like, I def, I know I could have used like something like that. Like you, I, when I was seven years old, I knew I was going to be a writer. <laughs> I was writing, you know, writing at work, writing outside of work. And so and I, I do um, self-publishing also. And I have like a few things that are targeted towards, you know, young black girls, particularly because oh, you got to share it. it. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Definitely. But we, we need that. And one reason why I started doing it is because I'm a mom of three girls. And when I went to Amazon to find sketchbooks and coloring books, I couldn't find very many things that, that centered them. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't want them coloring pictures <laughs> of people who didn't look like them. Uh-huh. Like, not all the time, not occasionally, but or like we all you do see? turning turning the white characters black, coloring yes. them brown, coloring yes. their hair darker. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah, and I I just got kind of got tired of it, so I was like, you know what, I need to be more intentional. And I was like, you know, what? I'm a writer, I create, I can create some stuff myself <laughs> for my kids. Yeah, yeah, and so I, I totally get that. Like we need that that representation the kids need to see that they need access to that stuff and it needs yeah. to be more common it needs to be on the shelves and and i feel like you're, you're starting to see it happen more now like you like target i think they just dropped their black history collection and they have a little section for us you know so you see it becoming more mainstream because it's profitable right we black the black dollar is a very yeah. valuable commodity to have so <laughs> And see, and I understand, like, that was the premise of my of my children's book series. Um, it's character education-based, so it is mm-hmm. too aligned with what we do at She's Chicago. Um, it's mm-hmm. called The Mini Adventures of Cairo and Zoe. The first mm-hmm. one is Cairo and Zoe, Best Friends Forever. And the book focuses, it's written for small children, mm-hmm. like um, literally little kids, like up to second grade, maybe. Mm-hmm. But Cairo is my daughter. Um, the imaging that you see on the book are actually like my kids, um, my wow. daughter, my son's image is also in the book and my niece, Zoe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they are the characters and to see their reaction, like when it was finally like printed and they're like, that's my outfit, you know, like <laughs> they were so excited to see this representation of themselves there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the book is about conflict resolution. It's about, hey, we're friends. And we got differences, you mm-hmm. know, the differences make the friendship and, you know, we use those differences to come together. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, everything that we do is grounded in character, grounded in the soul and, you know, grounded in empowering minority children. Yeah. Yeah, that's needed. And the graphics, I did see that on your site and the graphics are beautiful. Uh, so I don't know who you collab with on the illustration, but it looks gorgeous. How about this, though? And to tell you about like just universal order and design, our artist is a 17 year old girl from the United Kingdom. Wow. 17 year old girl from the UK is the person that did the illustrations. And I did not know. um, Honestly, I found the illustrator on Fiverr. So it's perfectly aligned um, with she. Mm -hmm. Because she's in the demographic that we serve and she's doing the kind of work, you know, toward character education and, you know, just embellishing her own talents as an artist. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just truly honored to have her support. And I'm like, girl, 17. And at first she didn't want her name on the book. And I was like, no, what's what's your name? Yeah. We put it on there. (laughs) We put it right on the front, you know, so she gave her um, her pen name to go on the front. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad that um, 
you're just creating more and more opportunities for you. <laughs> like <laughs> we we need to we have we have to lift uh, lift them up. Um, so I'll have to uh, for all the listeners, I'll put the a link to that book in the show notes. And if you oh, watch, okay. I'll put it in the comments. And I'll get one because I have an eight year old who would appreciate checking out that book. And I always try anytime I can find a black character in a book. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way. I am the same way. Okay, cool. So it's, it seems like you, I could tell that you're passionate and you really care about what you do. You're really invested in it. So can you talk about, um, you know, some of the most rewarding things about what you do and some of the most challenging? Because you are in a nonprofit sector. It has its highs and its lows, just like any other, you know, business and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, so... Um... That's a really good question. Uh, the most rewarding aspect of the experience, um, honestly, is like building. It's the relationships that you build with the girls, with, that you build with the kids. Um, for me, I have learned a lot about entrepreneurships and like the mechanisms, the technical things. Mm-hmm. Um that are required to, you know, pull this off. But what's most rewarding about what I do is that kind of hands-on relationship with the girls that I serve. Um, As a teacher, one of the hardest things is like letting go of your students. Like even when you know it's time for you to transition or it's time for them to transition, Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, you have to let these kids go and, you know, they own to the next grown up and you just like praying that, you know, nothing crazy happens in between. Mm-hmm. And she provided a space for me to not have to lose that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like most of the girls that I work with are girls that I've taught before. Mm-hmm. Um, as the organization expands, I know that it won't necessarily be that. But even in the mentoring sessions, the one on ones and in the um you know, the whole group mentoring, just to know these young women authentically without them putting on, you know, that shield that kids put on when grownups come around. Yeah. You know, let me tighten up. You know, I get to see them raw. I get to see them Mm -hmm. uncensored and, you know, free. And it frees me, like it liberates me and it helps me to know that this world is not a lost cause, <laughs> like, mm. you know, uh, when you got people with this much vigor and hope and, mm-hmm. you know, intellect and, you know, just, it's so many amazing things about these young women. And it just really keeps me connected to purpose. It keeps me connected to people, um, you know, because I do have a tendency to withdraw when things get crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, they keep me engaged. And so, yeah, like they are literally the most I can't, it sounds cliche, but I can't explain how fulfilling it is to just to be a part of their lives. Um, the most difficult thing, whew, it's hard to talk about, but the most difficult thing is the reality of when they're not with you. Mm. Um, in May last year, we lost two girls to gun violence um, mm. on the southeast side of Chicago. Tajanae Samuels and Antonisha Bratcher say their names. Yeah, um, names. They were sitting in a vehicle outside of one of their homes, and um, both of them were shot and killed in the vehicle. Uh, so we got two for one, uh, mm-hmm. and it was it still is uh, very heavy. Yeah, um, 
these are girls that were on college tours with us. You know, they did mm-hmm. food drives with us. They mentor little kids with us, you know. Mm-hmm. And so you have society that wants to create this narrative around Black existence in impoverished communities. And then you have like people like us that are like, you know, hey, they were more than that. You know what I'm yeah. saying? That was that was a fraction of their identity. And it wasn't really a part of their identity. It was survival. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Survival under certain circumstances. So we lost those two girls. And the most challenging thing is uh, just knowing that not even lost, just having to accept that the world will still be what it is when they leave a she session, you know, Um, accepting that, you know, they still have to go back and navigate these circumstances that are beyond their control. Mm -hmm. And that somehow we hope to be a pipeline, you know, between them and their future, something, a liaison between their community and the future, but having to understand that they still have to be in that community until time for the future comes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. Um, and we lost some boys too last year. Um, and they're, you know, they have their brothers, you know, I also taught the boys, but the organization yeah. is for the girls. And so dealing with the loss and understanding that their life is still going to be what it is outside of this until mm-hmm. they're 18 and they can make certain decisions and changes and mm-hmm. for themselves. And so, yeah, I would have to say that 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 is probably the most difficult part of everything. But at the same time that difficulty drives you, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, the urban girls against violence thing is also in response to uh, what happened to Tajane and Antonisha. We took them to the March on Washington. After that, it was a cathartic experience for them um, just to be able to get that anger out because they were hurting Mm -hmm. Uh, and they didn't even know it until we got close to the Washington Monument. We were like walking up to where the march was. Mm-hmm. And the reality of it is prior to the March on Washington, the last time we were in D.C., we was kicking it. We were mm-hmm. she Chicago College Tour. We were visiting Howard Hampton the next day. The mm-hmm. last photographs that we had at the Washington Monument, Tajane and Tunisia was in it. They were in it with mm-hmm. us. So a lot of them didn't really it, 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 they felt it. But it hit really hard when we got back in that space. Yeah. And um, the Washington Post came to interview one of our girls to ask them. I'm always the one that's like, ask the girls. You want to know about she? Ask the people, Mm -hmm. you know, ask the customer, really, because they're going to tell you the truth about the product. And so um, the Washington Post wanted to talk to us. I directed them to ask the girls whatever questions they had. And they did. And one of the simple questions, what brought you out today? And as one of our babies, Zane Hill, started to speak about it, she like literally just like choked up and just like burst into tears. And all of us, you know, we crying, talking to the reporter. The mm-hmm. girls are like, they running over to hug her and like her she sisters really showed up for her mm-hmm. um, and finished out the interview uh, with a couple of words. But um that experience alone, they were like, we didn't even realize how heavy it was until we returned to these spaces and being in a place where they could get that anger out constructively. They got to yell, they got to march, they got to cry, they got to 
hug each other. They got to talk to other people who lost people. They got to hear the stories of, you know, people who have been lost to gun violence or community violence and so on. And one of the things that they reported as the most rewarding from that experience was seeing how many other races of people were at this march and here for the same reason. And so when we came back home, Urban Girls Against Violence, you know, we were able to pull it together because they had that opportunity to see, you know, what it looks like to constructively respond to the woes of your community. And so, um, you know, just, you know, to get back to the difficulties out of the difficulties, you know, comes something like urban yeah. girls against violence. It makes you realize that you got to respond to more than what you initially thought you were coming in here to respond to. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so sorry to hear about the loss of your girls. I'm sure that was a a lot um, for all of y'all to deal with um, and still is, you know, still is. I'm sure it's an ongoing healing process and, and to their families and whatnot, um, you know, best of, of everything to them as they navigate through that. Because I cannot imagine losing a child, let alone two years old. Yeah. Babies. Yeah. Babies. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm glad that from that y'all were able to, you know, create what you were with as urban urban say, girls against urban violence. girls, urban girls against violence. Yeah. Um, so you know, and I know that the work that you're gonna do with that segment of the organization is gonna be very impactful and it's gonna be a lot of passion and energy behind that from your girls because they felt that so deeply. So and that's needed. That's needed. We we need the kind of work to address all types of things that are happening within our community that sometimes are overlooked or misunderstood, yes. misunderstood. And because they're misunderstood, they're not approached with the, the right method. So, yeah, for sure. Okay, but you, you definitely have, um, you know, done a lot of work for the community and also, and, you know, thank you for your service as a teacher. That's like just such a that's such a, a profession that just does y'all do not get enough credit and pay for the work that you do yeah. and working with youth and and all of that. Um, I've I don't I don't even know couldn't even imagine like what that takes every day to have to be in a classroom and and like shape these young minds and then on top of you doing it all every day already as a teacher you get outside of work. Girl, it's definitely a work of heart. Like, yeah. it's one of those things you do it because you love it. Like, mm-hmm. if, if you don't like kids, I used to tell me, if you don't like kids, you got to get out the classroom. What are you doing mm-hmm. here? <laughs> you, you don't like school? You got to get out of here. What are you doing here? So, yeah, yeah. It's one I, of those things. I know there are so many pros to it, but I always say, like, certain professions take, like, a special type of person. Yeah, I can tell just from our conversation that you are a teacher who cares about your students and we need teachers who care. We, especially you can see it happening now with everything that's happening with the the pandemic and having to be virtual. And you can see some teachers are completely checking Locked out, out. Uh-huh. checking all the way out. And some yeah. teachers are still in it. So like, can you talk about how you've been navigating um, the virtual world, if you are virtual or if you are in school and everything as an instructor? So I am actually not in the classroom anymore. Okay. Ooh. I literally just left um, last January. So almost a year. I've only been out for about a year, Um, but I do still engage schools as a teacher leadership coach. So Mm -hmm. 
Um, at this point, I coach um, middle school leadership teams on how to keep their eighth graders to get their sixth, seventh and eighth graders on track for high school. Mm-hmm. So um, that is what I do now. So I did not have the experience of converting to online teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, the I've only had the experience of converting to online mentoring. And so that's mm-hmm. different because they sign up for that. So yeah, yeah. They come in with the intention of being focused. They come in with the intention of gaining from the experience where in the classroom, you know, they go to school because they have to, not because yeah. they want to. So I'm mm-hmm. sure that management looks a lot different on that end. And I didn't get to experience it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that it's been a very interesting experience. Uh, I'm sure for a lot of teachers. I mean, and as a parent, yeah. I know we were talking earlier off air about those struggles <laughs> with your kids in virtual learning. So with your schedule um, being filled with like everything with She Chicago, what does your day-to-day look like? Are you like a full-time entrepreneur now? Well, nonprofit entrepreneur and like that consumes your day. Can you walk us through your day? Uh, a day in the life, girl. Mm-hmm. I got like three full-time jobs. No, for <laughs> real though. Um, parenting, she, and then uh, my job as a teacher leadership coach. So mm-hmm. honestly, um, a day in the life of she is easily a 24-hour job for mm-hmm. me. Um, and I think that most entrepreneurs can identify with this. See, like your mm-hmm. business is never not on your mind. Oh my goodness. Like literally to the point... <laughs> It starts to feel like you're making time for everything else, Mm -hmm. you know, because you're so consumed by your business. Um, Mm -hmm. A typical day uh, kicks off with, you know, mommy stuff, uh, getting the kids set up uh, so they can leave me alone and go to school. Um, (laughs) You know, checking in with my regular job to make sure I'm fulfilling my, um, you know, duties in that department. Um, and then honestly, anything she related, I have like checklists for days of things that, you know, sometimes things come to mind in the middle of the night and I'm like, you know, let me get up and take care of that. So, you know, on a day, you know, I'm just now really getting serious about using my Google calendar, um, Mm -hmm. because I went through a period of, you know, yeah, I remember we got a meeting, you know, and as the meeting started rolling in, (laughs) when I'm telling you, and I'm like, put it on a calendar, just send me a calendar by, please. Mm-hmm. You know, so a typical day, again, it starts off with mommy duties. Um, you know, I check in with my job. Um, and then, you know, usually, you know, I'm just kind of weaving in and out of she stuff, depending on, you know, um, what I have to take care of with my regular job. Mm-hmm. Um, lately, we've been working on refining our curriculum to make sure that we're really targeting those life skills in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And so um, most recently, that's what I've been working on, uh, refining the SHE curriculum, uh, looking for opportunities for funding, mm-hmm. um, and also still making sure that I'm engaging our, keeping our girls engaged at a high level while I'm doing all of the back end stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that we're looking at right now is broadening our mentorship, you know, uh, mm-hmm. creating more prof- a network of professional women who will regularly mentor one or two girls uh, mm-hmm. type of thing. So, um, you know, it all really depends on, you know, what's needed at the time and how I prioritize it. Um, but girl, the entrepreneur thing, like it is 24 seven. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'm sleeping. I like one eye open, like, yeah, 
It's two o'clock in the morning, but I got an idea. Let me get up. And I feel show. that. You know, like, um, mm-hmm. sometimes I got to get it done before my children wake up. So, you know, mm-hmm. I may legit be up at three o'clock in the morning um, to get some she work done before it's time for me to do regular work. But also just before my kids get up and start asking for things and being mm-hmm. the beautiful little children that they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need that time. Uh, recently. I kind of fell off, but it's been imperative to like roll in some type of Um, Mm self-care. And so like yoga has been like my go-to. I typically do it at night. Um, In the summer, I do it on my porch um, because I I like the sky. I like to read the sky when I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, roll in my little yoga, make sure I throw in a bubble bath every once in a while. But um, yeah, like a typical day is all three jobs in one day and just trying yeah. to make sure that I don't drop any balls in any of those areas. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and if I am dropping balls, they got to be small, you know, yeah. uh, it can't be like, you know, big things or big opportunities. So yeah. Did I answer your question? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Def- definitely answered the question. So y- you already mentioned that you like you're more into your calendar now. Can you talk about the tools that you use to kind of help manage your day? Because you have a lot. Like, yeah. So like, are you are you like a, a Gmail or are you like an Outlook or do you have like a specialized software that you use to manage some of this stuff? Like, what are you using? Yeah. So I am a Gmail junkie. Like, mm-hmm. I just feel like Google Suites is the go to for everything. So Google mm-hmm. for Google for nonprofits is actually free. So if right. your organization has 501c3, you can get Google for nonprofits for free. Um, and then for eight dollars a month, you get uh, just, you know, Google for nonprofits. But it's like the business suite. And that's what gives you all like the perks of recording meetings and, you know, Mm-hmm. It takes the number limit off of how many people can be in a Google Meet and stuff like that. So uh, Google Suites for everything. Like mm-hmm. I probably get on my board's nerves. Like I'm, <laughs> I mean, you got to be on Google. Don't send me no Yahoo. Don't send me no, like. Don't send me no. I, I need you to be able to open the document and edit it on the spot. Like yeah. so, Google Suites is definitely a go-to. Um, my designated office space is a tool. That's what you see here. I'm going to make it more pretty and stuff behind me. But um, I created, because of the pandemic, it forced me to create designated space for work. Yeah. Um, and I need it because um, I, I have to distinguish between when it's time to be a mom and when it's time to be who I need to be for my house versus when I'm at work. Yeah. So um, my little office space, my uh, significant other calls it the thinking chair. Like <laughs> I see you in the thinking chair. So I know you'll be there for a while, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's another tool. Um, what else are some go-tos? Um, because of the type of work that I do, uh, the Facebook groups, mm-hmm. um, messenger groups and stuff like that, um, mm-hmm. working with kids, I got to stay on social media because that's like the mm-hmm. easiest point of contact for them. Mm-hmm. Um my teapot it keeps me sane <laughs> i always have several teacups with me at all times i'm constantly i have packs yes. and packs yes. everything you need Girl, <laughs> teapot is has to stay uh that's what helps mm-hmm. other tools are these incense mm-hmm. you know stuff like that that keeps me sane um yeah 
as far as nonprofits are concerned, some go-to uh, tools are Forefront. Um, it is a plat- it's a database of donors um, and it gives you like access to kind of a donor network um, and also other nonprofits doing similar things. We use Forefront regularly. Um, you know, man, it's so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a Google Sheets fanatic. Back to the Google Suites, yeah. I put everything in the in the sheets. I do workbooks for everything um, mm-hmm. because it just keeps everything in one place. No matter yeah. how um, intense the content might get, everything is right there in one place. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think that those are probably like my top, like the the top things that I'm like every day using. Mm-hmm. Um, Google Suites and my teapot and incense. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have like a little um in my corner. I have like a, a little pink Himalayan salt yes. light that I have. You know, sure. I have my essential oil diffuser. Like I have to, especially if I'm like having a day. I'm like I need to set a mood so I can mm-hmm. focus and okay get work done. So important. Like. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and my ring light. Okay, so mm-hmm. he has done got me banned all this stuff. The tripod and the ring light is mm-hmm. also like it. When I figured it out, mm-hmm. I will never live my life. It's a game it. changer. Like, it is it changed everything. Like I'm yeah. like, what? I don't gotta mm-hmm. be. So yeah. yeah, the the ring light and the phone. Um, Oh, look, and now I keep going, right? I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, you did. Um, That's helpful. Photoshop Express. Hmm. The app, mm-hmm. Photoshop Express, say, like not having to go back to my computer every time I need to edit a graphic or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. Photoshop Express, I use it every single day. Like literally every day I'm putting mm-hmm. something in there to move something around. So Photoshop Express too. Yeah, yeah. I think I think having like the app versions of some of these like huge desktop um, programs has been like beyond helpful because I'm with you. I'm like a Google um, everything fanatic. So I'm constantly uh-huh. I'm up middle of the night putting thoughts in a, a doc. So then in the morning when I'm completely up, I get in the doc and work on it. And then, you yeah. know, I'm editing designs on my phone. And, you know, so, yeah, I feel that like I you. You uh-huh. need those things that can flow seamlessly through devices because you're yes. just on the go and you, you got so much to do. And with that being said, what is um, something that's a problematic behavior or pattern in your workflow that you notice about yourself and how did you solve for it? My personal workflow. I, either one, either one, you know, it doesn't matter. You know what? The Google Calendar thing was one. Mm-hmm. Um, two is like listing things. So mm-hmm. something that was problematic for me is making mental notes. Like, you know, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I got to do this. Man, I got to do that. Man, I got to do this. And never just really stopping to jot things down or having like a designated space. So like I went from mental notes to sticky notes all over the place. And then that was just overwhelming anxiety through the roof, you mm-hmm. know, And just really being intentional about, you know, creating a space to compile my thoughts, but also to compile um, things that I needed to do. Mm -hmm. So uh, things that help with that are Google Calendar reminders, actually using the reminder app in the damn iPhone. You know what I'm saying? Like it's there for that, you know, stop and jot it down. Um, Another problematic behavior for me 
is doing too many things at one time mm-hmm. uh, because I'll be in like opened up everything and then it takes forever to get one thing finished. Mm-hmm. So just, um, and the reminders work with that, the um, setting reminders in my phone, like it helps with that. Like, listen, pay attention to this and get this done before you move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a pretty good multitasker, but um, nevertheless, I can only man- manage a max of like three tasks at a time, um, yes. manage effectively um, three tasks at a time. And I got them already. It's she, my regular job and my children. Mm-hmm. So I'm um, just making sure that in each of those departments, um, I'm committing myself to what I'm capable of doing with fidelity, mm-hmm. you know, in a certain amount of time. Um yeah, so I, th- I think that those are the most problematic things that that were problematic behaviors on my end. Yeah, I've had to create some strategies around fixing. <laughs> yeah, we move we move a lot of like on that. I'm the those are the, my same problem areas too. Um, exactly <laughs> to the T that I'm still always working on improving myself. Yes. You know, um, but but I always like to call that those out because I think a lot of times, especially when you hear stories about entrepreneurs and professionals and stuff in business, it sounds like we have everything together. And it's like, yes. we know we do not. We don't. <laughs> and you know what? To that effect, another problematic, um, well, area that I struggle with is delegating responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, because I have people that will help, mm-hmm. you know, um, I would be a fool to act like I did, but why don't I ask for their help? Because, I think one, I think I can handle it all myself, mm-hmm. but two, when you're the visionary in the group, you want to execute it exactly to the way that you envision it. Right. You know, mm-hmm. not necessarily yielding to the talents of your team because mm-hmm. they can add value to the vision if you, you know, delegate some responsibilities elsewhere. So um, another thing that I'm working on is just that, you know, um, reach out. I got a phenomenal board. That can, they, I mean, they're extremely talented. And I'm like, why don't I ask for their help when I need it? And um, that's that's definitely a growth area for me. Yes, I, I respect you saying that. I, I get that too. Yes. Okay. So as we get ready to wrap up with these last few questions, um, one thing I wanted to ask is as far as books. So I always feel like there's like something that you may have read or like in the past or you're currently reading or something that you're looking to read that could impact or shape the way that you approach any type of strategy that you have in your workflow. So do you have any recommended reads or past reads? Um, so you just asked the English teacher for recommended reading. Uh-huh. <laughs> we'll be on this phone for another hour. Now. <laughs> um, but seriously, um, I don't really read self-help books per se, or like, um, you know, my mom tries to get me to, I be trying, but they so bored to me. <laughs> but um, right now I'm reading Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. Wilkerson and uh, I mean, I love it. I'm like addicted to it right now. Um, and basically it walks you through like uh, understanding racism as mm-hmm. uh, a casteist system, you know, mm-hmm. a, a product even yeah. of a casteist system. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding you know what life looks like in a capitalistic society. It does a lot of comparisons to the caste system um, over in India. Um, and she makes some scary parallels between uh, the Third Reich and the mm. United States. I mean, uncover some things that I didn't know, you know, how, it, 
you know, with regards to like Hitler and even the way that American racism influenced um, the Holocaust. Like, you know, they got their framework from the Holocaust for the Holocaust from American racism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I love books like that because, you know, it helps you understand the way, the reasons, the why behind the way that we function, yes. you know, yes. and it's imperative. So I would certainly recommend that. And I'd also recommend The Color of Money. Um, I have trouble with pronouncing the author's name, but you can't miss it when you see it. It's like Mersa and the last name begins with a B. But The Color of Money, um, girl, I ain't gonna lie, it had me looking at everything funny, like credit mm. scores, like, you know, <laughs> it talks mm. about, you know, essentially why the black dollar is the way that it is and how you know, institutionalized structures have come together to devalue the black dollar and Mm -hmm. also to create minimal access to Mm. wealth for black people. Girl, when they talked about how credit scores came to be and, you know, the fact that these are social constructs designed to marginalize people, Mm -hmm. to keep certain people you know, from having access, you know, it's no reason that if I make a hundred thousand dollars a year, I can't buy something because of a credit score. Yeah. You know, so there's that part. And then the last read that I recommend is Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall. Yeah. Yeah, I'm familiar with that one. I love it because it um I love the concept of like tying blackness to feminism, um, mm-hmm. not excluding black women from feminism. It's easy to do it because of history. Yeah. Um, and so I like the unifying aspect of it, but I also love the narrative. Um, that supports, you know, black women as a life of feminism. We live feminism. We don't Mm -hmm. do feminism. We don't, you know, go to a protest or, you know, whatever. Our lives are the prototype. We're the poster child for feminism. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, those are my suggestions. Yes, those are all great, great. I want to say I've heard of Cass. Um, haven't heard of The Color of Money, but definitely need to check that out because you, you piqued my interest. And Hood Feminism is actually in my house. I just have not right. made my way to it. <laughs> Don't hit it, crack it, girl. Okay, so uh, last two questions before we get out of here. Uh, first is, how do you feel, and you already talked about this a bit, so it's just, I guess, anything else to add, finishing touches, but how do you feel that your work impacts the Black community? Um, girl, so... How do I feel that my work impacts the Black community? I feel that our work, the work that we do as she, um, we target the community at its foundation, mm-hmm. right? So we go, we meet you at while you're kids um, and we start to cultivate uh, a mentality around normalizing Black success, Black existence, and Black feminine identity, humanizing Black feminine identity. We start early with that. Uh, we don't leave you know, our kids to try to figure it out later in life. Uh, We put a word, you know, a name to the feelings. We put, you know, a word to the experiences. And most importantly, um, for the Black and Brown communities, we help young women to identify their assets. We help them to identify themselves as an asset to the community early on, Mm -hmm. which creates responsibility around Mm -hmm. In the community. If I know at 17 that I am going to be a teacher or that I'm going to influence the lives of children in one way or another, then by the time I'm 18, 19, 20, every major step that I make with my life is going to lead me in that direction. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, far too often we send our kids out into this world not with no understanding of the value that they add to it. Mm-hmm. And what we do as she helps, you know, girls in our communities to identify themselves as a value add, identify what value they add and give them the opportunity to build upon that in their future. Mm. Yes. You, you said so many like key words there, like understanding themselves in, as an asset and, you know, being able to know who they are and how they contribute to the world. That's so important. And I feel like a lot of times if you don't have that guidance, you don't have someone in your life that's doing it for you. You don't really see yourself in relation to the rest of the world until you're like in your 20s, you know, mid to late 20s. Then you start to realize like, oh, this is something I'm supposed to be doing right here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Before then, you're kind of just existing. You kind of just like going through whatever, especially like at the young, ripe age where they are, where they just kind of like every day it's like go to school. Exactly. You think beyond that, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes, that's everything. And, and who am I? You know, who yeah. am I? Why do you want me? Why are you invested in me? Yes. You know, because the kids don't know. You know, mm-hmm. they just think we coming to work every day. Or you know, mm-hmm. why do y'all care so much about what we doing? That's why mm-hmm. you why why you doing too much? Why you care so much about? Yeah, because you are here to add value. You are a value mm-hmm. add. You're an asset to life and we just need to help them put their finger on how you know what it looks like yes yes they need that and for those who are creative entrepreneurs who are looking to get into the nonprofit sector, whether you're an instructor who wants to influence youth or some other, anything, whatever you want to do, um, what advice would you give them? What are three to five actionable steps you would tell them to take to get started? Um, honestly, I can give a lot of philosophical advice, um, but you said actionable too. So from the philosophical standpoint, I say, do what you're called to do. Mm. Um, Whether people believe it or not, you hit a calling. It's just Mm -hmm. up to you whether it may not be aligned with what you thought it was going to be. It may not be what you want it to be, Mm. but do what you are called to do. Mm. Um, For me, you know, it manifests through she and we got a whole bunch of sub companies, you know, that still fulfill that, but do what you're called to do. Follow your assignment. Mm. Uh, And from a technical standpoint, read the damn documents. (laughs) (laughs) You get in your articles of incorporation. Make sure you read everything that your state has to say about that. Make Mm. sure that you search in to see if your business name is available. Check the trademarks on it. Read the trademark application. It's long, but read it. You know, Mm. it'll be to your benefit. Um, Read your organization's bylaws. Don't just put them together, draft them and send Mm -hmm. them on their way. You know, make sure you read the bylaws. So um, I would definitely say, you know, read the paperwork. Don't just skim through it. Make sure that you're well-versed on whatever it is, whatever phase you're in, um, in establishing your business, read all the legal paperwork behind it and anything that you create or produce to, you know, put out to people or to your board, make sure that you, um, you know, you read that stuff and you got a good understanding on it. Um, and lastly, um, do the research, research your competitor organizations, um, 
your competitors are also potential partners, but they mm. won't partner with you if you don't fill a gap. So if you're solely a competitor, as in we strictly just do the same thing under a different name, then it's less likely you'll be able to find, you know, allies in that sense. So what you're going to want to do is make sure that your business is closing a gap mm-hmm. to create the opportunity for partnerships. So do the research, do the market research, analyze other orgs, write the pros and cons, write the similarities and differences and make sure that you know that because that'll also mm. help you when it comes to donor relationships. Because one of the first things donors ask is like, well, what's different between you and this group? Because they did the market research, they already know. Mm-hmm. People are asking them for money all the time. Yeah. So what makes you different? You find that you find that out by doing the research and by knowing, you know, who your competition is and what gaps they have. Yes. Yeah, that's that's hugely important. And I'm glad you mentioned that, um, like getting really granular with your competitive analysis. Like I need to know the exact pros and cons and exactly how we're different. Cause you're right, like especially in the nonprofit world, everybody mm-hmm. has their hand out. Everybody needs some a donation yeah. for something. And it's like how you know, I support this cause in general. I want to support, you know, girls in, in, in youth in this area, yeah. but there are What's 15 different? Yeah, there are 15 organizations just in this this uh-huh. radius. <laughs> what makes you so special? Mm-hmm. You no, know? like and, and it's hard. And when you're writing that stuff down, like when you get to identifying, like, you know, hey, this is what makes my org special, it do feel like, you know, damn, am I kind of coming at the other org sideways? And you don't want to mm-hmm. be that way. And you're not, um, you know, just understand that you have to have those bright lines and those clear indicators that we are different. Um, and they may be small differences, but they could be strong enough to, you know, make that yes or no, make that door open or close for you. Yes, for sure. For sure. All right, Dominica, thank you for coming on the show before thank we get out of here. Thank, thank you, like seriously, for especially after hearing your crazy, crazy schedule. How busy <laughs> you are. Thank you for sitting in the thinking chair. And talk to me. <laughs> I appreciate that. So can you tell listeners and watchers how they can follow you and support She Online? Yes. So you can check out our website. We are at www.shechicago.org. Um, and you can also follow us on Facebook. Uh, we are on Facebook at Team She Chicago. And we are on Instagram at underscore Team She. You can also find us on LinkedIn at She Chicago. So, yeah, we out here. We're getting TikTok and everything else together. But for right now, that's what we got. So hopefully y'all come and check us out. Support yes. Team She. Support Team She. And one thing I wanted to call out too, to mention at the end, I know you said that y'all were looking for mentors. So there may be some people who are listening or watching who are interested in mentorship. Um, Can you briefly touch on that? Like, does it have to be in Chicago area? Are you looking for virtual? Are you looking for men, women? What are you looking for? Absolutely. So we are looking for women. Sorry, fellas. Um, We're looking for women. It's virtual. Um, If you are in Chicago, then that's great. Um, you know, then maybe you you be able to set up like one on one time in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's virtual mentorship. Uh, we want people who are comfortable talking to parents um, because you will need to build a relationship with that family to have the trust of a mentorship there. Um, but women from all professions who are looking to mentor a girl or two, you might get two girls. Um, but no more than that, um, you would simply go to our website, www.shechicago.org, and click volunteer. 
When you click volunteer, it will open a Google form where you can enter, you know, all of your information and express your interest in mentorship. Perfect. Perfect. And again, I will place those links in the show notes. Um, and if you're watching, it will be linked in the comment section. Well, in the description below on YouTube. So thank you again for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for watching Black Executive. Join the conversation in the comments below and be sure to like and subscribe. You can find a full list of all available podcast episodes on blackexecutive.com or wherever you stream. Until next time, keep aspiring to inspire.